Hey there, thanks for tuning in to St. John's Asheville Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope, and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. The Old Testament reading today comes from Psalm 22, uh, verses 22 to 31. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. The New Testament reading today is from Romans 16. Uh, Is Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at Sencrae, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require for you from you. For she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my relative Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And greet his mother, a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and offences. In opposition to the teaching that you have learned, avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the simple-minded. 
And while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise in what is good and guileless in, and guileless in what is evil. The God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, greets you. So do Lysias and Jason and Sosapater, my relatives. I, Tertius, the writer of this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Louisa, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here at St. John's 10 a.m. Um, it's a great joy to be with you this morning and to be uh, opening up uh, God's word with you this morning as well. Um, so why don't you join with me um, in prayer as we um, come into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are so thankful uh, for your word. Oh, we're thankful for the ways in which, which it shapes us and the ways in which you have shown to us uh, who you are. We pray that as we look at Romans 16 this morning, that you would uh, show us more of yourself and help us uh, to uh, be the people that you are calling us to be uh, from this text. We pray this in your name. Amen. I love how fiercely independent toddlers are. Uh, perhaps you have a toddler in your household at the moment, and so maybe you don't love how independent they like to be. Uh, but as small children develop, we know that they go through a phase of being desperate to prove to you that they don't need your help anymore. I do it myself becomes their mantra. From putting on shoes, to eating food, to walking instead of being pushed in a pram. In their mind, they don't need you anymore. And yet, they still do desperately need their, your support, don't they? Not to mention how frustratingly slow it is to walk with a toddler or to let them try to put on their shoes 20 different times and they still end up with their shoes on the wrong feet. Uh, they do still need our help. They want to be independent and yet there's a limit to what they can do. I've been told that when I was a toddler myself that I would uh, be very determined to walk up every hill that was around our house by, our, by myself, no help needed. But then a few years later, that very same hill, I was more than happy for my dad to carry, up me, carry me up that hill. Uh, I, I didn't need his help, but I definitely enjoyed having to be carried and not to be independent. Uh, sometimes I think as believers, we want to be fiercely independent from others. Thinking that our own fortitude and determination is all that we need to remain faithful to God. But actually, each of us desperately needs one another. It is almost impossible to remain a Christian if we go it alone. 
In some seasons, we'll be the one who is doing the carrying of others through incredibly tough seasons. And other times, it is us who will be carried. We will miss out on so much if we are not present for the lives of those around us. And when we're not looking for openings to provide care to those who we love. To be able to say to them, I can help. Or to be willing to answer, yes, please help me. The life of faith can sometimes feel like long marathon, even arduous at times. But that does not mean that the life of faith needs to be a lonely one. This morning we are looking at the final instalment of the book of Romans. Romans 16 exemplifies all that Paul has taught across the book about the nature of community of believers. I wonder if you do this. Sometimes when I imagine Paul, I think of him as this lone ranger pioneer. He's going around the uh, ancient Near East, sorry, the New Testament world, and he doesn't really need any on the ground support. He's just out there doing his thing and everyone uh, is not really helping out very much. But this skews, and this skews my perception of the realities of the early New Testament church. And I think what is particularly beautiful about this passage in Romans 16 is that it provides us a fuller picture of the richness of the community of believers, the community of grace and peace that God calls us to be. Paul is not a lone ranger. He's not a pioneer on his own, but he is surrounded by other believers who are walking with him and lifting him up and celebrating him. And so as we look at Romans 16 this morning, I want us to see three things that are defining characteristics of a community of grace. Firstly, a community of grace celebrates diverse voices. Secondly, a community of grace discerns the truth. And lastly, a community of grace shares in the glory of God. I have to sometime give a 3.7. <laughs> okay. So how about we get in together? Uh, point one, a community of grace celebrates diverse voices. Romans 16 is the longest list of personal greetings to and from fellow believers in the New Testament. There are nearly 40 individuals and small groups listed across the chapter. Nine of the individuals named in this text are women, which is remarkable for the first century A.D., to see women being celebrated and pointed out. There are also a number of individuals who are Jewish believers, people uh, including Priscilla and Aquila, Herodian, Andronicus and Jania, Jason, Lucius, Sosipaster, and likely Mary. Others in the list were Gentile believers, like Phoebe and Epinetus and Tryphena and Tryphosa, Timothy and Gaius. Also, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philurgus, and Julia, they're actually common slave names. And so it's likely that they were either slaves or slaves that had been freed. And if they were still slaves, they had no wealth or standing or status on their own. There are also believers who were wealthy and prominent households, like the household of Aristobulus. He was a relative of Herod the Great and a close friend to Emperor Claudius. Also the household of Narcissus, 
who was a rich and powerful freedman who had great influence over the emperor. In this we see Jew and Gentile, slave and free, poor and wealthy, men and women, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, companions and house churches. This list provides us with greater insight into the diverse tapestry of the church in Rome and those with Paul in Corinth. And this list, I think, also reveals why Paul, across the book of Romans, focuses so heavily on the realities of Jewish and Gentile believers coexisting with one another in ways that we would, they would have never expected to. And yet, in this, they find unity. In the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they find unity. And I think this passage demonstrates how even though the world believes that our defining characteristics are found in our gender, in our position in society, or in our heritage, Paul sees first our humanity, our desperate need for Christ that is not influenced by these factors. And he argued across chapters 1 to 8 that the only way to salvation is through death, through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is embodied, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, finding the salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no difference. And then flowing out from the argument that Paul made for the rest of the text from chapters 9 to 15, that we are to be people who love one another, who care for one another, that neither being a Jew or being a Gentile can diminish the work of God in bringing redemption in the other. Paul's celebration of the diversity of believers ultimately points us to the message of the gospel, that Christ came to redeem all people. He came to bring all people into the redemption offered by the Father, whether they are wealthy or poor, whether they are male or female, whether they are Jew or Gentile. This passage in Romans 16 shows us the reality that that was happening, that God was bringing people of a diverse background into his midst, into his church. This redemption, won for us by Jesus, enables us to build up the body of believers and ourselves to be built up in the glory of God. But I think in this text, the beauty is not just seen in that diversity. It's not just seen in the fact that there were people present that were a whole range of backgrounds, but it's even more in the ways in which Paul celebrates that diversity, that he lifts up those people. Here from verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Senecre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she might need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Paul commends and celebrates Phoebe to the Roman believers. It is widely accepted that Phoebe is the person who delivered Paul's letter to the Romans. In the first century, letter couriers did not merely drop off the letter and then head off, but they were like the representative in person of the author. 
like an embodiment of Paul's presence for the people in Rome. And hence, Paul's strong commendation and subsequent request that the church in Rome would warmly receive her because she was the one who was bringing his message. Scott McKnight, in his commentary titled Reading Romans Backwards, suggests that the courier of the letter would likely perform it, bringing the letter to life for the listeners and answering any questions they might have. Paul, at the time of this letter, was in Corinth, and Phoebe was one of the leaders of the church in Senecre, one of the major ports of Corinth. Phoebe is a wealthy woman who used her patronage to fund the work of the gospel through financially supporting Paul and others. What you might find surprising is that the way that Paul here encourages the believers to receive Phoebe is very similar to the ways in which he invites the church in Ephesus and Colossae to welcome Tychius in Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4.7, and how he encourages the church in Corinth to welcome Timothy in 1 Corinthians 16.10. His celebration of her to the believers in Rome demonstrates how much he values her and esteems her as a beloved and faithful sister in the Lord. How beautiful it is to see the diversity of voices being celebrated. We see also uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who you might know from uh, Acts 18. They're a husband and wife who taught and instructed Barnabas and the truth of the gospel so that he had a deeper understanding of the faith. Paul here in verse 3 celebrates their faithfulness as co-workers in the gospel, even in the, in the face of immense persecution. Similarly, we see Apelles, his faith was persevered in verse 10 over a long time. Four of the women are particularly celebrated later in the text. Mary in verse 6, Tryphena and Trophosa and Persis in verse 11. They are the only individuals in the list who are publicly celebrated for working very hard in the Lord. They have poured out their hearts and lives in service of God and his people. Andronicus and Junia in verse 7 are another husband and wife who have been faithfully serving Christ alongside Paul. They'd both been in prison alongside Paul uh, and we know that they were celebrated among the apostles. Now, you might know there's a little bit of tension about what this verse actually means, and it is a little bit unclear as to whether they were apostles in the sense of being disciples of Jesus and being present with him through his ministry, his death and resurrection, or whether they were faithful servants and leaders within the church that are well known among the 12 apostles. It's hard to know which way it is. Uh, You might also know that for a long time, Junius... Uh, Junior was known as Junius, and so it's difficult to know if she was a man or a woman, but it's very likely that she was a woman and the wife of Andronicus. But either way, whether they were apostles or whether they were known and celebrated by the apostles, their voices and faithfulness here are being celebrated by Paul. Now, we can see a whole spectrum of diversity of voices of Jew and Gentile, of male and female, of slave and free, 
their voices being celebrated. But we don't know exactly the context in which each of these different voices were engaging in their faith. Some of them are clearly being uh, celebrated for their proclamation of the gospel and their commitment to working out faithfully. But many of them were probably living normal lives, being faithful where they worked or with their families, being faithful in the face of persecution and adversity. Perhaps wholly ordinary individuals and yet their voices and their stories are being celebrated here. And I wonder, as we see this celebration of diversity, we see this celebration of voices and stories being lifted up for us, how can we here at St. John's celebrate the diverse voices that we have around us within our own community of grace? Uh, Some ways that I think we are already celebrating diverse voices is through having a variety of voices and stories of men and women in our pulpit. A few weeks ago, we had the privilege of hearing from Jess, and tonight we're hearing uh, from Tash Moore, and we have other lay preachers across our congregations, like Miles and Ethan and Christian and Gabe Lacoba and Ben Tillmans and Michael Hermans. And hopefully in years to come, we'll continue to hear many different voices in our pulpit. And we also celebrate a diversity of voices preaching from our staff team, which I consider a great, incredible blessing and joy. But even more than in our pulpit, I think another way that we already celebrate the diversity of voices is moments where we have time to share in our service publicly, where any person can come and share a part of their story and the ways in which God is at work in them the ways in which God is shaping their lives. And I'd love to see us continue to do that more and more because we cannot persevere without one another. And these moments bring us so much encouragement and they particularly encourage me and give me hope and I hope that that happens to you as well. I think for me personally, one of the greatest privileges I have of being a pastor is hearing and then seeing the way that God is shaping and growing each of you. And for the voices that he cultivates in you from your own stories and experiences of faith. As I have studied this passage this week, uh, it's brought me to mind uh, many things that I uh, celebrate of God working in each of you. And I'm going to share a few of those things now. Uh, Recently, Elle shared with me that one of the young guys at our evening congregation, who's recently become a believer, sees her like a surrogate mother, just as Rufus' mother was like a surrogate mother to Paul in verse 13. How beautiful it is to see voices nurturing and encouraging our young people, young people in faith and young people in terms of our age. We see also like Saffron and Scott, and Christian who have dedicated so much time on Sunday mornings to serve our young people, to build them up, to nurture them in the faith. Their voices and stories are so beautiful and we should be celebrating them. Or how I see Jess and Nath and Sully and Liz and David and Adam and Emma being faithful witnesses in their schools, hearing how they are seeing the gospel go out to young people 
hearing the challenges that teenagers are facing and how we as a community can build them up, can celebrate the ways in which God is working in their lives, seeing how the gospel is going out in front of them. Or the vision that Rhonda and Naomi have and Alison for our community to grow together. Or how Jono and Veli and Carolyn and Esther and Yvette and Mario are seen working with integrity and faithfulness in their workplaces. I love hearing those stories and celebrating how God is at work, how God is shaping you, how God is bringing about the truth of the gospel into reality in your life. And I love how we get to hear the voices of the kids in our church, like Maggie and Lisi and Teddy, Charlie and Ben and Tommy and William and Felicity and Abigail. We get to hear their stories and their insights, the ways in which God is shaping them and growing them into people of God. Their voices are just as important as each of ours. And so I hope that we can continue to grow as a community of grace that celebrates the diversity of voices and stories that are present here. And perhaps one little way you could do that this week is to send a message of encouragement to someone in our church about how you see God working in their lives and the value that you see in their voice and in their story. A community of grace celebrates diverse voices. Even in the midst of this diversity, we are united by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us uh, to our second point this morning. A community of grace discerns the truth. If we look at verse 17 of chapter 16, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul offers a warning here which it seems a little bit in conflict to what he's just been writing. How do we celebrate diversity on the one hand and yet also watch out for those who, and keep away from those who, who bring division? There's a potential risk that in celebrating diverse voices that false teachers might make their way into the community and cause confusion and turn people away from the truth. But I think in the context of this Uh, in the book of Romans, it is possible that the false teaching that Paul is warning against are those who suggest that believers must abandon Jewish culture to be saved, or on the other hand, that obedience of the Jewish law must be a precursor to faithful obedience of Jesus Christ. Paul has argued against both of these positions across the book of Romans. As a community of believers, Paul urges the Roman church to continue to discern the truth of the gospel, to not add to it or to subtract from it. He suggests that their strength in obedience might actually be the very thing that causes false teachers to try and draw them away from following the truth. 
Paul, in verse 19, echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10, where he similarly encourages his disciples to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The reality that many will despise the faithful believers because they ultimately despise Jesus Christ will lead to people attempting to discredit the believers, attempt to draw them away from the truth. So discerning the truth requires wisdom and insight from one another, wisdom that has been revealed to us by our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We cannot maintain faithfulness to God if we're not being shaped and formed by one another about the truth. That salvation is through Jesus Christ alone and that his grace is sufficient for all people. There's a spiritual battle at work here. We know that ultimately we are not the determiners of who is saved and who is not. And so we should take care that we don't fall into the traps that create additional requirements for people to come to saving faith. And yet even in his warning here, Paul reassures the believers that God, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We know that in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated Satan. However, we will not see the full end of this until Jesus returns. So right now, the Holy Spirit works in us to subdue evil and false teaching under our feet. Satan's power is contained, and we are God's instruments of truth in this world. So how do we here, as a community of grace in the inner west, discern the truth? We can speak the truth of the gospel to one another through fellowship groups and hearing God's word read and taught on Sundays, through even speaking liturgical elements of the church, the creeds and confessions, that could proclaim truth across the ages. And we can discern the truth by opening our lives to one another, sharing with one another of our joys and triumphs, of our struggles and failures. And in doing so, it opens the doorway to conversations of grace and truth to be spoken in the little and the ordinary and also in the big and extraordinary. This will help us to be confident to reject notions that try to add or subtract from the gospel, such as there's only one Christian way to vote, or seeing a particular view on women preaching as a litmus test for orthodoxy, or discrediting other believers because they worship God in a different way. We can sift the dross from the fruit because God has shown us what it is to truly know him and that the truth of the gospel is found solely in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think in my own personal life, I've had times where I've been unsure of the truth, been unsure of who God is and what he is doing. Moments where sadness has led me away from the truth of God's goodness and his love. And I think one of the beautiful things of community is the ways in which they, other people are able to speak into those situations, the ways in which other people can help me and help us discern the truth, to see where we've limited God, to see where we are not loving God wholeheartedly. 
and showing us again the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I know for myself personally that that has been moments where hearing other people speaking the truth into my life has been the most transformational moments for me in having confidence again in who Jesus is and in his salvation. And so as we are a community of grace that we seek to celebrate different voices, let us also be a community of grace that discerns the truth together. And lastly, hope that in God's grace that we will become a community of grace that shares in the glory of God. Looking at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. The mystery of God has been revealed to us through the coming of his Son. The message of hope and salvation for all who believe and live out their lives in obedience to him. Jesus has won for us freedom from sin and death and attained for us the future hope of eternal life with our eternal God. And this is a message that enables us, a community of grace, to share in the glory of God with one another. What a fitting end to a book that confronts our assumptions of our standing before God, a book that challenges our hearts and affections to live a life shaped by love, grace and peace, revealed to us by Jesus and conveys to us this message of glory. As followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, united in him, we are caught up in this glorious story, and we have the privilege of sharing in the glory of our Saviour as we walk alongside one another, as we celebrate the diverse voices and stories that fill the global church as we seek to discern the truth centred on the glorious message of redemption. And ultimately, we look forward to the glory we'll share when we see our Saviour face to face, when every tongue and every nation will declare that Jesus is Lord and the truth of him will be fully revealed in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion and power both now and forever. This is who we are as a community of grace, a community that celebrates diverse voices, a community that discerns together the truth of the gospel and a community that shares in the glory of God. We are a community and we desperately need each other and God has blessed us with one another so that we might continue in him for all of our days. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you are God who has poured out your grace and your goodness on us. We are thankful for the ways in which you have united us in your Son. That in our diversity, Lord, that we can celebrate one another, celebrate the ways in which you are working to bring about your good and perfect purposes in our lives. Help us to open our hearts and lives to each other. 
Help us to discern the truth, to see the things that are trying to add or subtract from the gospel and help us to persevere in you. And may we see your glory both now as we gather as your people and long for the eternity of sharing in your glory forever. Amen.